0: If you are able, please stand for the reading of the word, which will be done by Justin Harcherich. Matthew chapter 7, verses 1 through 12. Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measures you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces." So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. The word of the
1: Lord. He is risen. risen Still true today. Just wanted to make sure we understood that. You know, we get the chance to every Sunday come in and and celebrate the resurrection and celebrate our our resurrected Jesus Christ, our our Lord. And so uh, what an exciting thing it is to do each and every Sunday Yesterday, I got to celebrate something very different. Um, I got to go to the Kings Warriors playoff game. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Appreciate that. And, uh, and, and, and yeah, I mean, I've, I've said it before. I'm a, I'm a huge Kings fan. I was actually at the last Kings playoff game 17 years ago. And so I uh, got to be there again, which was a ton of fun. But as the, game, as the game wrapped up and the Kings won really at the, at the last minute, you know, everything just went crazy in the arena and everyone is high-fiving. And like when the, when the final buzzer went off, like I had 18,000 best friends all of a sudden. <laughs> I mean, it's just, you know, everyone's high-fiving and hugging. I mean, I'm going out of like leaving my seats and going into the concourse area. And, and I mean, I've just got like grown men coming up and like hugging me like, I love you, brother. And I'm like, I love you too. And, you know, I got a friend like, oh, who is that? Was like, I have no idea. I never met them before, right? But I mean, it was just happening all around us, like just this, these hugs and this love, and and, and everyone's best friends. It's like, man, relationships are easy. Like just, just get your team to win a game, and all of a sudden, everyone, like everything that divides us, is gone, and we are all best friends now. All of a sudden. And while that may be true in that moment, the reality is is that relationships are very difficult. They're very challenging. And while we are constantly in relationships and they're all around us, it can be a great deal of effort. And sometimes I wonder if it's because, you know, we have relationships with so many people now. We're so connected. And yet things tell us that we are more lonely than ever before. And we, we take these relationships that are online and we act as if they are real and we forget how to interact with real people. As a matter of fact, there was a time where I met someone and they reminded me of a friend of mine. And you know, everything they did, the way they talked, their mannerisms, like all this stuff just reminded me of a friend. But I couldn't remember which friend they reminded me of. And it was really frustrating because I was like, I know this person so well. Like everything they're doing, I'm like, is exactly like my friend. Why can I not think of which friend they're like? And it finally dawned on me, they weren't like a friend that I actually knew, they were like a TV character that I had seen. <laughs> And I'm so familiar with this TV character that in my mind, like, that was a friend of mine. And so it was just this weird, like, all right, I watch too much TV. I need to turn that off for a while. Um, But we have all of these relationships online and these connections to people. and, and, And yet, it doesn't tell the full story. And so when we really interact with people, it becomes challenging. And we see... All around us, we see bad interactions with people. I mean, we see anger and fighting and people just yelling at each other. We see all these videos of people yelling and screaming about just crazy things and cancel culture and so many different things. It's like we've forgotten how to relate to one another. And so we're going to spend the next six weeks diving into real relationships and talking about how do we relate to one another. How do we relate to God in our relationship with Him? But most of the time will be spent in our relationship with one another and, and, and in different sections of relationships. Like how do males and females get along together and relate to one another? How do coworkers interact? How do different generations interact together? How do families interact with one another? And so today I just want to kind of dive into a general understanding of how does God call us to love people, to interact with one another. And the reality is, is that God has a plan for us. And so we need to, our, our view of relationships is going to be determined by our understanding of God's relationship to us. Our, our understanding or our view of relationships with one another and the way we interact with one another is going to be determined by our view of God's relationship with us and his desire and his pursuit of us. See, if we understand scripture, we know that we are called to be in relationships. Genesis chapter 2 says it's not good for us to be alone. In Hebrews, it says, don't give up meeting together. It says that we are supposed to press into relationships. Even though they're hard and they're challenging, we're called to press into relationships. And in Genesis chapter 2, we actually saw that God created us to be in relationships in the way that he is relational because God is a relational God. We're made in his image. And so we are meant to be in relationships with one another and in relationships with God. And we can look around and be like, well, why is everything so messy? Why is everything so challenging? Why is everything so difficult now? Well, Genesis chapter 3 tells us that sin entered the world and broke everything. It broke our relationship with God, and it destroys our relationship with one another. And so there are challenges because we all have a sin nature. We are totally depraved. We're completely affected by our sin, and our sin separates us from God and separates us from one another. But God in his infinite, amazing love for us stepped down into the world, pursued us, gave his life for us, gave the ultimate sacrifice to bring us back into relationship with him. That's God's love for us. And so if we understand that and we receive that, and we also understand that that love for us is also true of his love for each and every person we meet, then how can we not love people? So we're called to love people. We're called to love people. And it makes sense because we need to see the image of God in each and every person. I mean, how can we, how can we love God and not love the image of God in the people around us? Like we, we need to love people. As a matter of fact, we are commanded to love people. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus is asked, what is the greatest commandment? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. And he could have stopped there and everyone would have been happy, but he keeps going. And he says, there's a second So in verse 39. It says, and the second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. The second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. So in what ways is the second command, love your neighbor, similar to the first command of loving God? Well, they're similar in authority. God has declared both of these things to be true and both of these things to be necessary. They're similar in weight. We understand that we need to be worshipers. We need to love God. We need to pursue him with everything we have. We understand why that is. And God is saying with the same weight, the same intensity that you are to love God, you are also to love others. And the third part, the third way they're similar is that the second actually comes from the first. If we love God, we will love his image bearers. If we love God, we will love his creation. If we love God, we will love those around us because God loves those around us. So how can we not? I mean, imagine you know, thinking that you can, you can love someone's creation without loving them, like going to Da Vinci and being like, hey, you're cool, but the Mona Lisa is terrible, right? Like go and tell George Lucas that Star Wars is the worst movie you've ever seen. It's probably not gonna go very well. My wife, she loves to bake. She is very proud of her baking ability. And uh, if I tell her that I like someone else's like chocolate chip cookie more than hers, we're gonna have conflict in our marriage. Praise God that my wife actually does make the world's best chocolate chip cookie, because I'm not a good liar. So that would not have gone well if that weren't true. Imagine if someone came up and said, hey, Ryan, you see those kids over there? They're just the worst. Like, get them out of here. And I'm like, hey, those are my kids. (laughs) That wouldn't go well for us, right? We'd have some things we have to work out, but they can't be like, hey, I want to be in a relationship with you, but I hate your kids. Like, that's not going to happen. And yeah, this is the way we treat God sometimes. God, we love you, but I don't love your image. God, we love you, but I don't love your creation. I love you, but I don't love people. No, we need to love people. That's what scripture calls us to because we understand God's love for us and his love for others. And so we love people because that's what we have been called to do. The next question that we might ask is a natural question, but it's also kind of a silly question, right? Which is, okay, which people do we need to love? Can we narrow it down? And this is not a question that we often ask out loud, but it is one that we ask in our hearts. It it, it is one that we challenge in our hearts. God, I see you're saying love people, but that person is really difficult, right? Like I see you're telling me to love people, but like that person is from the other political party. Like I hear you're telling me to love people, but, but I'm an iPhone user and that person makes my text messages green. So, like, the question is, like, which people do we need to love? And, 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 and Jesus actually clarifies this in the Gospel of Luke, because he's asked specifically, who is my neighbor? So if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? And he tells a story, and you're probably familiar with it. It's called the Good Samaritan. And it goes something like this. Basically, Jesus is talking to a group of, of Jewish people, and he says that a Jewish man was walking down the road, and he is mugged. Uh, he gets beat up. Everything is taken from him, and he's left for dead. And so a priest comes along, right? The pastor comes along, the Jewish pastor comes along, and and he sees the man, and he crosses to the other side and keeps going. Listen, pastors are busy, okay? We got too much stuff to do, all right? So it just makes sense. But then a Levite comes, who's another, like, religious leader, another fellow Jew, another brother, and he comes, and he sees the man, and he also walks to the other side and crosses over, and then a Samaritan man comes and he sees him and he picks him up and he bandages the wounds and he takes him to the doctor and he pays for his medical bills and he says, I'm going to come back and check on you later. And so Jesus asked the crowd, he asked the person who asked him the question, he says, So who's the neighbor here? And the person responds, The man who showed mercy is the neighbor. Notice, by the way, he didn't say the Samaritan, he said, The man who shows mercy. And here's why. We often read this story and we think it's just a story about doing good things, right? If I see someone who's hurt and beat up, I should probably help them, right? If I see someone stranded on the side of the road, I should go and help them. That's how we read the story. But the point of the story is to answer the question, who is my neighbor? And Jesus is taking an extreme view. He's saying, you want to know who a neighbor is? The Samaritan is the hero in this story because they acted the way a neighbor would act. This would have been offensive to the Jewish people. This is why the man said the man who showed mercy and didn't say the Samaritan man, because Jews hated Samaritans. They hated them. They had all these... Geographical and political and, and religious reasons for why they didn't get along. They all started as family. Like they all came from, from a Jewish background. And then the Samaritans, basically they started worshiping in a different place and marrying different people and getting different customs. And so Jews looked at Samaritans and considered them like dirty, traitorous, half-breed, uh, like false worshiping people. They had laws that they couldn't be in their house. Like, and if there was a straight line from where they need to go or from where they were to where they need to go and it went through Samaria, they wouldn't take it. They'd go around Samaria just to, to stay away from that, that filth that was in Samaria. And Jesus made the Samaritans, the enemy, the good guy. And the point of the story is that we are supposed to love all people. No exceptions. Love all people. That's what Jesus is saying. Everyone you come in contact with is a neighbor. So yes, those people that you get along with really well, they're your neighbors. Great, love them. But also the people that you come in contact with that are difficult and challenging, that frustrating neighbor, that family member that you just want to push away, like the the, the people that you just don't ideologically, like you don't see the same way, like you need to love all people. That's the message that Jesus gives to us. Love all people, and maybe then your heart goes. Okay, well, how often? And the answer is, love all people always. Love all people always. That's the point. Is that when the Samaritan man happened to walk past this Jewish man, it wasn't that hey, he's on he's on a mission trip, and he's like, well, I'm on a mission trip, so I guess I'm going to go and help him. It wasn't like, well, it's a Sunday, so I should be holy today because it's the Lord's day, so I'm going to go and help him on a Sunday. No, the point was, hey, you happen to come across someone that you could demonstrate love to, and so that's what you need to do. Love all people always. Well, how do we do that? Matthew chapter 7 gives us some ideas. Matthew chapter 7 is a part of the Sermon on the Mount, and the Sermon on the Mount is really about what it means to be a citizen in the kingdom of heaven, what it means to be a disciple of Christ. And so there is just amazing stuff in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 that you should read, memorize, Uh, put into knowledge, but we're just going to look at this one 12-verse section here, and we'll start in verse 12, because this actually wraps up the section that is in front of it. He says in verse 12, Jesus is talking, he says, so in everything, and that phrase, so in everything, tells us that he is wrapping up a statement, okay, based on everything I just said, because of all this, now this is what you're going to do. So in everything, do to, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. So the idea that it sums up the law and the prophets really just means this is really important and we need to pay attention. Like if you want to get the commands of God right, you need to get this right. But he says, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Now we need to understand this from a a very broad, general perspective. So in other words, I I talked about being at the King's game and and a lot of people just come and they're like hugging everyone. and, And, you know, it's one game and it's like for me, I was like, all right, it's fine. Like that's not the worst thing in the world. Some of you are, are huggers in this room, right? Like, you know who you are. You're the, you're the person, like every person you greet, you're going to give a hug to every like, time you leave a room, you're going to hug every person there. Sometimes just in the middle of a conversation, you're going to get up and give someone a hug because that's what you do. That's how you receive love. That's how you give love. That's your thing. There are other people in this room that a hug is basically the equivalent of getting punched in the face. Like it's the same amount of love for them, right? Like they're just like, no, stay away. Maybe I'll give you a fist bump. Like that's the most contact I wanna have with a human being right now. Okay, that's not a bad thing. It's just different people. And so the people who are huggers might hear this and say, do unto others as you would have them do to you. Well, I want people to hug me. So therefore I'm gonna go and hug every person I meet. That's not how you demonstrate love. That's not what this command is talking about. What it's saying is you want to understand to say, hey, I wish someone understood me and, and, and how I felt loved. And I wish they would show me love the way I feel loved. And so because of that, I'm going to go and demonstrate love to someone else by understanding them, by learning who they are so that I can love them the way they will receive love. Right? There's a reason why we have like Enneagram and disc tests and all these different profile things because people are wired differently and we should seek to understand who people are so we can love them. The way that they want to feel, or the way they will feel, love. That's what we are called to do. So there are some specifics here in the chapter, starting in verse one. Do not judge, or you will be judged. From the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. So we're hearing this language on the negative side of things. Of we heard the positive, do to others what you would have them do to you. Now we're hearing, hey, don't judge. Because if you, if you judge, then you're going to be judged by the same standard. So again, do to others what you want done to you, or don't do to them what you don't want done to you. And many people, they don't want to be judged, right? But we do need to understand what it means to be judged, because it's a very popular thing in our culture to so say, you can't judge me, you have to approve of everything that I am. And we're actually not called to approve of people. We're not called just to celebrate everyone and just to say, hey, Whatever you do, whoever you are, any sin, you could, it doesn't matter. Like we're going to celebrate and we're just going to pretend like as long as you're okay with it, we're okay with it. No, so when it says don't judge here, it's not talking about civil courts. That should be obvious. Like judges and, and courts are still okay. It's not talking about church discipline or doctrinal issues. Like we still have to have standards that are met in the church and make sure that people hold to these standards. Um, it, it's not talking about addressing sin and and being aware or discerning sin or even seeing sin in others and calling sin in others. That's actually talked about later in in the book of Matthew. It's not talking about discerning what is good and evil. We need to do these things. So what it's saying is while we're not going to approve of everyone, we're also not condemning people. And and that's what this idea of judgment really is about. It's condemnation that pushes others down to lift ourselves up. It's condemnation that says, I want to send you away from relationship. And I want to get rid of you because you did something that offends me. You did something wrong. And therefore, or I see something that's not right in you. And so I'm going to look down on you and maybe even push you out of relationship. That's the judgment that is being talked about here. And it's saying, if you think that you can do that to others, expect that to be done to you. But that's not how God has treated you. No, God has accepted you where you're at and led you into something better. He doesn't leave you there. He moves you forward into something better, but he also accepted you where you're at. And actually, he came and gave his life for you rather than just immediately condemning you, which he had every right to do. And so it gets more specific here in these next verses. It says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there's a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So first of all, you see the the term brother used here multiple times in this passage. And, And there's two reasons for that. One is that the idea here is that we're talking about brothers and sisters in Christ, so this idea of what we're doing, this is, this is relationships within the church, within the family of faith. But the other reason is to remind us that this is family. And so you are treating them with love because they are family, because they are fellow children of God. They're co-heirs in our relationship with God in the kingdom of heaven. And, and so we are called to love them. And it's using this idea of, hey, I see a speck in your eye and I have a plank in mine. I'm gonna go try and get the speck out of your eye, not dealing with the plank in my eye. And so what this is talking about is it's talking about addressing sin. And it's not saying don't do it, but it's saying do it carefully, do it gently. I actually heard a teacher, uh, she's an author named Jen Wilkin. She said, she said that, that you want people to approach your sin the way you would want them to approach your eye, very carefully, right? I mean, if I see something in your eye and I'm like, hey, just let me get that for you, that's not going to be very helpful, right? Like you're not going to appreciate that very much. But if I make sure my eyes are clear and I make sure that I have the right space and I come and say, hey, listen, I see something in your eye. Can I come and and, and get that for you? Can I come and help you with that? Um, You might be more willing to let me into that conversation. And this is how we address sin. Yes, we need to deal with some issues within the church, but we do it with grace, we do it with humility, and we do it with love. And so this is how we interact with brothers and sisters in Christ, but then there's this next verse that talks about how we deal with those on the outside of the family of faith. And it's a little bit strange. It says, do not give dogs what is sacred. Do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. And so it's a strange verse because we're talking about not judging others, and we have this verse in 12 that says, do unto others as you have them do to you. So we're clearly seeing that there's some, some love that is being demonstrated. We're talking about kind of rules for love. And then all of a sudden we're calling people dogs and pigs. And it's like, that doesn't feel very kind. But there's some imagery here that is really important. Dogs were on the outside. This is talking about the wild dogs that would be on the outside of camp. And so you would see them as outsiders. They weren't, we're not talking about your, your pet and the one that you want to bring into your house and be your best friend. We're talking about dogs that were on the outside. And so when it's talking about dogs here, this same idea is used in Philippians chapter three to describe those who are on the outside of the family of faith, those who don't believe in Christ. The pigs, on the other hand, are the false prophets. We see it on 2 Peter chapter two, those who are presenting a false gospel. Now the pearls and that which is sacred, this is the gospel message. This is the word of God. This is scripture being presented. And what it's telling us is that there is a way to present the gospel To those who are on the outside that is right, that will be received, and there's a way to do it that is wrong, and that will get people to lash out back at you. And so it's not telling us not to present the gospel, it's telling us to do it gently and to prepare them for it. In other words, the way we're supposed to interact with people who are on the outside of our family of faith is by inviting them to belong into relationships with us and with Christ. Showing them what it means to believe, allowing them to figure out what it means to believe. Not hiding the behavioral issues, but then trusting that after they believe, then we address the behavior carefully, gently, with the Word of God, and trusting the Spirit to do the work in their life of transformation. The problem in many churches and in Christian culture is that what we often do is we often look at the morality that is in Scripture that we are called to as Christians. And we compare the world who does not believe in Christ to what the Bible says. And we look outside these doors and we say, hey, the world's not living according to the standards of the Bible. They're not living like Christians. And we're shocked and we're offended and we scream and we yell at them and we say, you need to act like Christians. But here's the thing. They're not Christians. They don't know Christ. They haven't given their lives to him. And the most important part of being a follower of Christ is to give our lives completely and totally to the Lord. To say, we are surrendered to you. We are receiving that gift of your grace, of your love, of your acceptance, of your forgiveness. And we are giving ourselves completely to you because you deserve everything. And so we need to show people the love of Christ and to show them what it means to give everything to Christ before we focus on getting them to live out the law that is in scripture. And so when we focus on behavior of the outside world, what we're doing is we're giving pearls to dogs and to pigs. And if you've ever presented anything, because the emphasis here is on the giver. If you've ever presented anything to a dog, what are they going to do with it? They're going to eat it, right? They're going to try and eat it. And so if you're presenting a pearl to a dog, can a dog eat that? No, of course not. It's going to harm the dog. It might hurt their teeth. It might, they might choke on it. You're not going to present it to them. And if you do, you are at fault. And if they try and bite your hand because you just gave them something that they're going to choke on, really, that's on you. And so the point is, don't try and shove the gospel down people's throats. Don't try and shove your morality down people's throats. Present the gospel in a way that they can receive it with love, acceptance, and forgiveness. Allow them to belong while they figure out what it means to believe. Demonstrate belief to them demonstrate what a follower of Christ looks like, demonstrate God's love to them, be honest about what scripture calls us to, but invite them to relationship with Christ. And then we can present the words of God. And then it says this in verse seven, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. For the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be open. Now, this passage is primarily used as verses to talk about prayer. And it is true. As a matter of fact, I heard a pastor say once that if we actually believe this, we might pray too much. Because, I mean, you just hear the words, ask and, and you'll be answered. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. I mean, this is why we need to be praying for our church, for our families, for our community, for our state, for our country, for our world. Because God actually listens to our prayers. But we should also be reminded here that prayer doesn't actually make any sense. I was expecting a few more gasps there, some offense, something like that. I'm trying to be edgy here. Uh, but prayer doesn't make any sense when you think of it theologically or logically because God is omniscient. He knows everything. He knows all of our prayers before we ever say them. He's omnipotent. He is all powerful. He can do whatever he wants. He is sovereign. He is Lord over all. He doesn't need our help. He doesn't need our prayers, so it doesn't make sense logically. It doesn't make sense theologically. It does make sense relationally. Prayer is God inviting us into relationship with him. And for whatever reason, he says, I'm going to allow you to be a part of what I'm doing by inviting you into prayer. And so when you pray, I will respond. And there are times where God is patient and will wait for us to pray before he responds. He's inviting us into relationship. And that's where this section is taking us, is telling us, remember how God loves you and how he treats you. And it says this in the next verses. It says, Which of you, if your son asked for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asked for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts, you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? And so the the emphasis here is remember the giver. Remember the king and what he has done for you. Think about the good gifts he has given to you. He gave you the gift of his son, Jesus Christ. He gave you the gift of life. He gave you grace and acceptance and forgiveness. When we were enemies of God, when we were distant from him, when we were pushing him away, he stepped down into this world and gave his life, paid the ultimate price so that we could be restored into relationship with him. It's so then remember that when you ask, he answers. When you seek, you can find him. When you knock, he'll open the door for you. And if this is the love that you have received, then what should you do? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. In other words, because you are grateful for the love that God has shown to you, demonstrate that to others. So love people like God loves people. Love people like God loves people. See the world through his eyes. See the image of God in every person you encounter. Love all people always the way that God loves them. And this is what Jesus says. See, and in the, in the, the reason he states this is that in the Talmud, the Jewish law, there was a statement that said, whatever is hateful to you, do not do to others. Whatever is hateful to you, do not do to others. And Jesus is taking that statement and he's flipping it around. He's saying, that's not enough. That's not what God does for you. And that's not what you should do for others. Instead of simply saying, don't do what is hateful, Instead, say, do what is good. Not doing what's is hateful is just showing indifference to people, it's just ignoring everyone. But doing what is good requires us to be proactive, it requires us to be intentional, it requires us to treat people with love. So the call of Scripture is not simply don't be hateful, it's be loving. Because God didn't just treat us with indifference. He didn't just say, ah, you're in rebellion, you're in sin. All right, fine. I'll just pretend like you don't exist. No, He demonstrated the ultimate love for us by giving His life for us and inviting us into something new, something different, something better, restoring us into relationship with Him. He did good for us, and now He calls us to do good for others. So, in your relationships today with one another, here in the church, as you leave this afternoon, Do good for those around you. When you go home and you're with your families, do good. When you're in your neighborhoods, you see your neighbor, do good. If you're out at lunch this afternoon, do good to the people around you. As Christians, we are called to do good, to demonstrate the love of God to others. It's good for our souls, but it's also the way that we shine a light on the gospel message And point people to Jesus. It's through the good that we do. That people will see our father in heaven. And give him praise. And come to saving faith in him as well. Would you join me in prayer? As we get ready to pray. With your eyes closed. I just want you to picture. The people in your life. And maybe specifically to picture one of those people that you have difficulty with, that you have a challenge with, one of those people who is hard to love. And as you picture that person's face, I want you to think of what good you can do for them. We are called to do the most good, to love all people always. And so, what good can you do for each and every person you encounter? Heavenly Father, we, we give you thanks for your word. We give you thanks for the truth that we find in Scripture, the truth about your love for us. God, you so loved the world, you so loved each and every one of us that you gave, you gave us your Son. So that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. God, when we were in rebellion to you, when we were pushing you away, when we were your enemies, you died for us. Not because we deserved it and we can never earn it, but you freely demonstrated love to us in that way. And for that, we give you thanks. God, I pray that you would fill us up with your love that you would fill us up so completely that we overflow with love to others. God, that we would live out your command each and every day to love people, to love all people always, to love them like you have loved us and like you love them. Help us to see your image in each and every person that we meet. Help us to understand your love for each and every person that we encounter. And help us to love people in the same way That you love them. God, give us the courage and the strength and the power to not just be indifferent to people, to not simply not hate, but to love, to do good. God, I pray for those people that we are are picturing in our minds, those people that you have brought to our minds that are difficult, that are challenging. Maybe they frustrated us. Maybe they've done something wrong. Maybe we just can't agree with them for some reason. God, give us wisdom to know how to treat them, to know the good that we can do for them. And God, as we, your people, go out and serve you and do good to those around us, would they not see us, but would they see you in us? Would they also come to know who you are, to know salvation that comes through your son, Jesus Christ? And would they put their trust in you as well? So God, we thank you for the opportunity to partner with you in what you're doing, to love people, and we thank you for your love for us. We love you, Father, and pray these things in your son's name, amen.